You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's episode 21 of Grow Yourself Up. I can't quite believe I'm saying that, actually. Um, I shared at the beginning, so some of you will know this already, but I shared at the beginning of the podcast that it took me a long time to actually gather myself together and kind of push myself over the hump and actually launch the podcast. I had ordered a microphone in early 2020, and it sat kind of staring at me for more than two years. And finally, I just kind of decided that done was better than perfect because it always seemed like I need to gather more ideas or I needed to do, I don't know, just other things and that I couldn't quite start. And then actually my starting process, the lead up to it was really short because I was suddenly just like, right, I've got to do it. And it feels important to acknowledge that we've been going for, I think about four months. This is the 21st episode. And that feels really important for me to acknowledge because one of the aspects of perfectionism actually that I really struggle with is overworking and overdoing and always feeling like I just need to continue doing more and producing in, in like a whole different range of um, things in my life. And that's particularly debilitating in motherhood because it means we find it really difficult to actually just be present and be because we're always like strategizing the next thing or planning the next snack or how many snacks we need to take out or whatever it might be. And um, I'm really working to slow that and be in the moments. Part of that is actually acknowledging the things that we have done, the successes that we have experienced, the plans that we've made where we followed through, and we, we, we've actually seen the results. Because often what many of us do is um, there's a big lead up to launching something, um, whatever it might be. And then as soon as we've done it, it just sort of gets swept away and not even kind of held in our system as a sort of memory of something we've done because we're just onto the next thing. And actually from a, a neural pathway point of view, to really actually sit and kind of wallow around and wow, look what I've done. I've actually managed to do that. It's really important. We need to complete that cycle in our system. 
you know, whatever it is, if it's, if it's that you want to have a lemon water in the morning, if it's that you want to do some push-ups or, I don't know, some, some stretching when you brush your teeth, or you want to stop criticizing yourself so much, or you want to try and be more present for your children or stop criticizing them or not shout as much. Any of those things, notice, um, your successes around those things. Notice, oh, today, well, yesterday, I was having kind of a ratty day and, and I shouted five times and today I only shouted once or today I didn't criticize myself. Today I was compassionate to myself. So really notice your own little wins and, and take time to let that sensation flood through your body to really notice how it feels to acknowledge, wow, I've done it. I've done that. We all kind of need to soften and appreciate what we're already doing. I'm really grateful that you're here listening with me. Thank you for being part of this listening community. It's really joyful. I love hearing from all of you. That was kind of a little bit of a diversion, actually. (laughs) But we're going to get started with what we're going to talk about today. So today, I really want to talk to you about people-pleasing and parenting. It's a very complex mixture of stuff that goes on in parenting when we're a people-pleaser. So the way I conceptualize it is people-pleasing is an aspect of perfectionism. It kept us safe in our earliest relationships. So what do I mean when I say it kept us safe in our earliest relationships? Ideally, when we're growing up, our parents honor and love and accept all parts of us. So that means the parts that have a massive meltdown, the parts that throw our food, when we are um, fighting with our siblings, when we are sort of disobeying them. When we're a young child, we need our parents to model that all of us is acceptable and then to help us with our behavior. So, for example, when we are having a meltdown about something, ideally our parents will be with us in that meltdown to comfort us if we are devastated because um, something's broken or because we wanted to build uh, something and our sister was playing with those toys. Whatever the meltdown's about, we want to be demonstrating, oh, you're having a really tricky time. You are struggling with something that's going on. I'm here for you. Sometimes that's um, words and physical presence and touch. Sometimes our children just don't need more words. They just need some time to kind of chill out in the corner on the sofa. And then they'll come to us for a cuddle. But what often happens, um, particularly in um, more kind of power over parenting practices, is that You might get hit, you might get sent to your room, you might get some sort of punishment or some sort of threat because you're having a meltdown. And obviously, a small child is not in control of their emotions. They they haven't learned to to regulate themselves and their frontal cortex is not well-developed enough anyway to be able to have mastery over the emotional part of their brain. And so we help them with that. And by remaining in relationship with them during that behavior, so when I say in relationship, I mean being present with them, um, maybe talking, um, at least being in the same room. The child over time learns I'm acceptable and I am lovable even when I'm having these meltdowns. But many of us were told, if you cry, go to your room. If you do that, go to your room. If you do that, I'm going to smack you. And maybe we did get a smack. I certainly got smacked. Um, so did my siblings. So what we learn is that when we are having what is generally termed negative affect, so we're not being like happy and cheerful, we're crying or shouting or we're like 
being otherwise disagreeable in our parents' eyes, we are not acceptable. And really what we want to be doing ideally is holding space for our child's negative affect and showing that they're still safe, they're still emotionally safe, we are still regulated, and we still love and accept them. Now, obviously, we can't get that all of the time. We're aiming for more of the time. But for many of us, we learned you're not okay when you're behaving like that. We're going to break connection with you because being sent to your room with tons and tons of tears essentially is is very difficult for a young child because you're isolated then with all these huge feelings and you're terrified now because the people that you love the most, your parents, um, have kind of banished you. And so many of us have that legacy in our system. We have that in our body as a, as a bunch of implicit memories, which is actually often why it feels so difficult to tolerate our own children's aggression or annoyance or shouting or whatever they're doing. But how this relates to people-pleasing is that when our negative affect has not been acknowledged, held, accepted in our attachment relationships, one of the outcomes is that we learn to people please. So we figure out what it is we need to do to remain on the right side of our parents, essentially, because when we're little, we do actually want to be pleasing our parents. We want them to be happy and and loving us because that's that's good for us in our attachment relationships. We don't want them to be, children don't set out to kind of mess with us. I know it sometimes feels like that. Well, to me, it sometimes feels like that. It feels like sometimes my children are really setting out to mess with me. They're not. I can tell you they don't have the brain capacity to kind of craft that. And they want to be kind of um, held in high regard by us and feel our love. And the threat of disconnection is so painful that once they've had enough messaging around, you're not okay when you're behaving like this, we learn to people please. It's an adaptation to keep us safe because we need to stay in relationship with our caregivers. We want to stay in relationship to caregivers and also we need them to survive because when you're a little five-year-old or a four-year-old or a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, you can't exactly go out um, on your own into the world and live. And so it's a biological imperative that we need to keep our um, attachment figures on side so that we can survive. So I hope that makes sense. Now, a lot of you, I know, will be listening and, and reflecting on your own childhood and little you and all the things that you went through, while at the same time thinking about how you are as a parent and thinking, oh God, have I created people pleasers? I think that, yeah, I really want you to be gentle with yourself and to acknowledge that you're doing the best you can. And I mean, I look, let me tell you something about my daughter, one of my daughters, I sometimes think it's got quite a lot of people-pleasing um, aspects. And she observes sometimes when I'm struggling with her sister and she kind of goes into being all sweet or asking me questions. And I can see she's really trying to help. And it absolutely kills me sometimes because I sometimes think, oh my word, have I created this people-pleasing? But what I say to myself and what I invite you to say to yourself is that she wants to help in the situation and she's trying to alleviate some of the things that she can see me going through. and. She may have aspects of people-pleasing, but I have to really be compassionate to myself as her mother and understand that, you know, I go back to what I talked about in some earlier episodes about how we can't break all the cycles. So it is likely, because I've been such a people-pleaser, that my kids will have some of those elements, certainly one of them. And the way I try and counteract that is to actively say to her, sweetie, this is, you know, I can cope. Mummy's, mummy's managing. This is mummy's job. 
This is not something you need to worry about. It's not something you need to sort, sort out. I can manage what's going on here. And I really try and give her verbal reassurance. And also that all the work that I've done calming my system makes a huge difference because then our nervous systems being communication, she can feel I'm much calmer. So this has massively improved for me over time as I've done more and more work, but it's really like a messy area. So please don't berate yourself is my main message here, but it is nuanced and, and we can't, you know, the unintentional consequences that we might bring upon our children because of our own nervous system state, they're unintentional, but there may be some real consequences and that needs soothing in us. I'm going to do a lot more about this because I think this is really a um, big topic, but for the moment, please be gentle with yourself and know that the other option, which is criticizing yourself, is not going to help. It's not going to help you lessen those patterns. Really, truly, that is that is um, a massive truth because when we go into more criticism from a nervous system point of view, we're in a much more activated place, which kind of we get more and more worked up then. And also, if we criticize ourselves a lot, that we might even go into dorsal shutdown, and that's not a useful place to be to parent. Okay, so we've understood a bit about the origins of people-pleasing. And as always, please know that I'm simplifying things a lot. There's a lot of theory that's that's going into this, uh, like uh, psychotherapy writing, uh, psychology. I'm kind of uh, simplifying it and synthesizing it as well. The key thing here is to kind of realize that as people-pleasers, we started out as parent-pleasers. So we started out pleasing our parents because we really needed to keep them on side. And we go on to make like fabulous employees because we are so eager to please. And so you might have really done very well in your career because of this. Um, perhaps you also do some fawning, you know, as the part of the, one of those trauma responses until you probably get burnout. That's a, that can make you a very sort of successful employee. So I really want to hold on to the fact that people pleasing, um, is a trauma response. We, we become people pleasers because we did not get our needs met in childhood. We started off as parent pleasers and it's, it's a kind of a complex, um, it's a, tr it's a tricky dynamic in relationships because often we believe it's just how we are as if this is part of our personality, but we really need to name and identify people pleasing for what it is because it's actually self abandonment in relationship. It's when we constantly put other people's needs first because we're so hypervigilant and we're so tuned into what they might need. And obviously that's a projection on our part because or an imagination because we don't actually know what that other person needs. And so it can actually be quite annoying to be in relationship as a friend or a partner with a people pleaser because we we don't take ownership for what we might want or which restaurant we want to go to or what we would like to do. We often may appear kind of easygoing. And I personally don't believe anyone is easygoing. I think it's just that we haven't developed our preferences. We haven't allowed ourselves to become aware of them. I personally don't celebrate easygoing as a wonderful thing because it, I just think we need to kind of all be like tending to ourselves. So let me give you a little bit of an example from, from my life when I used to be a much worse people pleaser. If I was going to like a dinner party or something, I would have to take flowers and chocolates and like a bottle of wine. I couldn't just take one thing. I couldn't just take like flowers or a nice card. I had to take a bunch of things because it felt like I needed to provide a lot of things and to make sure everyone was happy. And often this operates subconsciously. So 
we might not be aware of what we're doing. So notice in situations, if you're going somewhere, do you have to take something? And obviously it's nice to take something if you're going to someone's house and you're contributing or they've, they're hosting you. And you're enough as you are. So it's a big learning around that we're enough. So let's just have a little look about what some of the things people-pleasing leads to. So in relationships, it leads to us often feeling really resentful because we don't tend to what we want. We go along with what others may want. And then after the fact, we're like, oh, I didn't really want to do that or I didn't like that at all. There wasn't a place I wanted to visit or I can't bear that movie. So we, we get resentful, often then get angry. But often we don't because we may not be comfortable with our own anger or have learned to express it in ways that are healthy or, or have a conversation around it. We then may be going to really passive aggressive behavior. So often if you people please a lot, then the other side is there's a lot of passive aggressiveness around your needs or snarky comments about other people trying to meet their needs. There can be discontentment because you never kind of get quite what you want because you may not even know what you want. So there's like a, just a general feeling of being discontent because you, you kind of, you don't feel emotionally nourished or, or connected with anything or anyone maybe. One thing that can be an indication of the fact that we people pleasing too much or in relationship is that you may notice you don't want to see certain people anymore and you might not be able to quite put a finger on it, but this is sometimes a pattern where we find it really difficult to spend time with people or we consistently do things socially with them that we don't actually like. And we think it's actually about them, but often it's because we are doing things that we don't like. So for example, if I was spending all my time on the weekends going to cricket matches, but I was unaware of that, that actually I really did not like going to watch cricket matches, I might just make it about the friend who I was going with and thinking, oh, they're so like bossy. They're always making me go to cricket matches, which is nothing at all. They like to go to cricket matches and they keep on inviting me. And because I'm not in touch with my needs, I keep on saying yes. Instead of saying, oh, actually, I can't bear that. I want to just lie in my bed and read a book or I want to go for a run or whatever. It basically leads to a lot of, we blame outwards. We go that they do this, they do that. I feel resentful of that. How come they're doing this? Because we're continuously focusing outwards rather than looking at, oh, what part am I playing in this? How am I actually contributing to the scenario, which I don't like? In parenting, it's very interesting because what happens if we're not kind of aware of the dynamics that might be playing out is that sometimes we replace our parents who we were pleasing when we were children and we put our children in their position. So we become children pleasers and that's very disastrous in the parenting arena. Okay, so people pleasing in parenting. At a high level, I'm going to focus on a few things that it leads to. It leads to us abandoning ourselves in all sorts of ways, actually. We become resentful because we are pushed beyond what we can manage often. It sometimes results in no boundaries for our kids because we are trying to please them and we um, perceive that putting a boundary down will cause them pain. And it disconnects us from our limitations. So really, in the parenting relationship, we need to strongly work on occupying the adult position. This may be very hard for you if you are like a huge perfectionist and struggle with putting down boundaries because perfection is actually a childlike coping strategy and it can feel very difficult when we're operating from that place to sometimes hold 
okay, this is going to be difficult. I know you're going to have a big meltdown maybe, but I really need to do this. And so it sometimes feels easier to just do this pleasing of like, okay, you want to stay at the park for five more hours, fine, we're going to do that. But what that means is that we abandon ourselves because we we know that um, that's not going to work out and it's going to be chaos when we get home or very chaotic or it's going to be like a disaster or they're going to be starving. And we're going to try and have to hold the space and, and contain our kiddies after that. By that point, you've pushed yourself, um, just linking to the last point I made about disconnecting from limitations, you've pushed yourself way beyond your limitations. So then instead of holding a boundary and your kid's getting really upset, you're probably just going to lose it big style anyway, because you're so, you're now so resentful that you've been in the park for so much longer and you're so resentful that you didn't get to do what you wanted to do maybe, or, um, that they've pushed you that everything gets all tangled up and now you feel resentful. You might be shouting about that it's their fault that you stayed at the park so long or a whole lot of stuff. It gets very kind of entangled and unclear then when we have not put down the boundary because it's not your kid's job to put down the boundary. It's not your kid's job to contain you and it is not your kid's job to decide on the limitations of the days. It is your job to decide on what you can cope with to put reasonable um, limits in place. It is your job to put down the boundaries and it is your job to manage your own resentment. So i.e. not to set up days which are completely impossible for you. Like if you've got like two outings or three outings or something, because that's a huge amount of pressure for you. But if you keep on engaging in people pleasing and put your children in the position of you needing to please them, then that is often the outcome. So for example, if and my kids often do this with TV. And sometimes, honestly, I do just want to sit on the sofa with them for like hours and just think, oh, whatever. Like, you know, if it all goes to hell in a handbasket later, I'll manage. But, but really, it's not like that because often, like, I have a certain black boundary time between like half past six and seven is when we go upstairs for bath time, ideally closer to half past six. But sometimes we stay downstairs a bit longer and we watch, they're loving this program called Sarah and Duck at the moment, which I think is quite sweet and it's very gentle. So I watch it with them. They have a lot of negotiation with me about staying downstairs for longer. Sometimes I just feel like I have no energy to hold the boundary, but then I'm like, no, it's time to go upstairs, sweeties. It's bedtime. I've explained to you, you know, I give them lots of time to know. I'm like, we've been cuddling on the sofa. It's really nice, but now it's time to go to bed. And they do like argue a lot. They're like, no, mommy, no, mommy. Then they fight about who's going to turn off the TV. So then one turns off like the virgin box and one turns off the TV. There's like tons and tons of negotiation. So sometimes it does feel like an easy option to just like let it all, you know, let them stay downstairs for ages, but it never works. And we are the ones, especially around time, actually, this is often an issue around time or when things will happen. We as parents are the only ones who know the time. It's not their role in any way to, to put themselves to bed or to know when they should be going to bed. Not yet, at least, you know, you, you start to learn those things as you become a teenager and as you grow older. Or, you know, probably as you're, when you're a tween or something, 10, 11, 12, you start to learn more about how to manage your own time and your day. But, um, I'm talking now about younger children. So it's, it's our job not to abandon ourselves to notice, okay, for me, I need to come downstairs. So this is me talking to myself. I need to get this bath and bed process over by say eight because I want to have my own supper. Perhaps I've eaten with them earlier, but I want to have some in my own evening. So it is my responsibility to hold that boundary, to deal with the consequences of them getting upset or whatever's happening, to still continue to hold the boundary, 
and to be in touch with what my limitations are. So, for example, I don't want to have a huge protracted bedtime. I mean, often we still do have that, but I don't want to get them to be so overtired that then they can't actually fall asleep because I've just kind of let things run right out of control. Now, sometimes obviously that does happen, but we can't put our children in the position of making all the choices or needing to be pleased all the time. That's really not our role. Sometimes I see parents giving their children choices around like things that are way too big. So when I say, I sometimes say to my kids, you can choose, like they can choose something for supper or you can choose, do you want to like hop like a bunny to the bath or do you want to like go like a snake on the ground or something? Like small choices are very good for children because it it gives them a sense of agency. So that's very good. And actually from a nervous system point of view, giving choice gives us a sense, a sign of safety. So that's helpful. But giving children big choices or things that are way too much can actually lead to them feeling a little bit unsafe because there's too much responsibility. So really notice, do you do that? Maybe in some areas, do you, do you unconsciously try and please them so you don't have to deal with the consequences of meltdowns? And notice if you do that and be really gentle with yourself if you notice that. None of this is to beat up on you or to beat up on me. This is to go, okay, so we've had some stuff happen to us in our childhoods. We didn't have our needs met and loads of other things, whatever your story is. And so we're trying to create a different environment for our kids to grow up. What we're really aiming for in parenting is for containment, for a sense of, for the child to feel I'm safe. This is a an ordered environment. It's not chaotic. Things run on a, a kind of a predictable schedule. I, I feel safe in this structure. I know that mummy and daddy are there for me or mummy and mummy or daddy and daddy or single mummy and single daddy, whatever your parenting um, structure is. Or maybe you're lucky enough to have grandparents living with you. That's what I've always thought would be so nice. But whatever your kind of framework is that your children are growing up in, Ideally, it's like a safe containing space that makes them feel supported, not too kind of, not like crushed or anything, but supported and held. And that there's enough predictability that they know what's coming next and that they don't have a sense of chaos. And they're not worried that they need to be taking care of themselves. And they're also not worried that they are responsible for us in any way. And so the the point about us really being in touch with our needs, that, that gives a clear thing. If I say to my girls, no, we're not doing that because I don't want to do that now. That's too much for me. I'm too tired or something. I'm giving a clear message of I'm looking after myself. and I'm also looking after you. You do not need to look after me. So I know that this has been a very kind of busy episode and there's tons more to say about people pleasing. Essentially, we we don't want to be putting our child in the position that our parents may have been and we do not want to be in an in a dynamic of people pleasing our children. And it's all about really tending to ourselves and understanding what we need in the situation, because then we can be present for our children as the parent we want to be. So I know I've been talking a lot now. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and do send me any questions you might have. And thank you so much for being here. And remember, there's journal questions for each episode. So if you would like to... um get the journal prompts, please do go and sign up. You can either sign up on Instagram at psychotherapymum.com or you can go to my website, psychotherapymum.com. And also, please leave a review or a rating that gets more people to see it. Yes, it would be nice if, you know, many more people who needed it got it. Okay, thanks for being here. Take really good care. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, 
hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living. Thank you.